We're going to continue our series today, Kids Stuff for Adults. Uh, and again, what we're doing is we're revisiting stories that we t- teach our children, Bible passages we teach them, and often fail to revisit as adults. And so we're revisiting them now from adult perspective. Last week, we began revisiting a great Old Testament character in the book of Genesis by the name of Joseph. He was one of 12 sons of a man named Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel, the modern nation of Israel. That's where they get their name from this Old Testament patriarch. Joseph was one of his sons. As we examine Joseph's life, we have to admit that it's a roller coaster of emotional highs and emotional lows. He's up and down, up and down. Starts out as his favorite, the favorite son of his father. Of all the 12 sons, he's the favorite. And, and his father makes that known. Unfortunately, that works against him. And his older brothers get jealous and they sell him into slavery. He goes down to the slavery into Egypt, what we looked at last week, and he's sold to an officer of Pharaoh's army, in fact, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And Joseph chooses a path of faith. He doesn't choose to respond with depression or rebellion or anger. He chooses faith, and so God blessed him in Potiphar's house and, and raised him up to be the head of all Potiphar's household. Potiphar didn't concern him about anything. Joseph had complete run of the estate. But unfortunately, Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph, and she wanted to seduce him. She wanted to go to bed with him, and she tried over and over again to seduce him, but he did the right thing. He resisted every single time. The last time she came to the house, none of the servants were there we saw last week. She grabbed a hold of his coat and started tearing his coat off, and she said, come to bed with me, and he just fled out of the house, leaving the coat in her hand. Well, in her anger from being rejected, she called all the servants of the house in we saw last week, and she accused Joseph of trying to rape her. Then when her husband got home that night, she told him the story, and he was enraged. And when we last saw Joseph, he was in jail. Genesis 39, verses 19 to 20 said, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, you know, once again, Joseph was at a place in his life where he had to make a life-changing choice. I mean, at this point, who would have blamed Joseph for being angry? Who would have blamed Joseph for giving up? Who would have blamed Joseph for saying, you know, God, I don't know where you're at, but you're not with me. I've done it right. I've tried to live for you. I've tried to give you glory. And now I'm in this stinking dungeon. I mean, who would have blamed him for being upset? How many of us would have been upset, huh? But once again, Joseph chose the path of faith. Once again, despite his circumstances, He chose the path of faith, knowing that God was greater than his circumstances. And what happened? God blessed them again. That's where we continue the story today. Genesis chapter 39, beginning the second part of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So now Joseph, again, responds in faith. God blesses him again. And even though he's in prison, he now becomes the head of the prison under the warden. It says the warden doesn't even care what he does. He's not keeping track of him. He's not watching him. He's not overseeing him because he knows that Joseph is a godly man and that God's blessing on his life. And so he has the free run of the king's prison. But here we go again. Just when he digs himself out of the hole, adversity visits him once again. This time, 
It's going to take an unusual twist. In Genesis chapter 40 now, chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, Scripture says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. Now, now would you allow me a little liberty? Let's take a sidebar before we get into this. Does anyone notice something profound in that verse? I've never saw it before, but I saw it this time as I studied it. Look what it says. It says that he put them in the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was fine. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. Now, now, where have we seen that phrase, captain of the guard, before? Let me show you. We saw it in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Last week we suggested that Potiphar's anger may have not been totally at Joseph. In fact, he may have, have suspicioned or even known the character of his own wife. And his anger might have gone just beyond this accusation, but his anger might have been the fact that she had made it public and now as an official of Pharaoh's inner circle, he had to take action. He just couldn't let it go. He couldn't pardon Joseph. He couldn't do anything. He had to send him to prison. But it would appear that even in prison, Potiphar kept relations with Joseph going. And even... When two other of the king's representatives were put into prison awaiting Pharaoh's decision on what would happen to them, it would appear that the captain of the guard, Potiphar, came to them and said, Joseph, I want you to take special care of these two. I want you to keep your eye on them. I want you to attend to them until Pharaoh passes down his judgment. After Genesis chapter 40, verse 4, they had been in custody for some time. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. So after these guys have been in prison, Joseph is looking after them. After a while, on the same night, they both have a dream. Now, you got to remember now that dreams in antiquity were, were thought of holy in a different way than dreams are today. We have a weird dream today. We get up and go, what did I eat last night? You know, or did I get enough sleep? But back then, dreams were considered to be given from God. They were direction from God. They were visitations from God. Now, God doesn't, doesn't visit us in dreams anymore because we have the Bible. We have his complete revelation. God has already given us in print everything that he wants us to know about life and about preparation for eternal life. But back then, he did work through dreams. And so these guys both have a dream the same night. And they're disturbed about it. And so the cupbearer, you know, he's kind of looking down and sad. And Joseph says, hey, what's going on? You look a little sad today. What's wrong? And he says, I had this dream. He says, well, well, tell me your dream. And so he says, I had a dream last night that, that there was a vine. And all of a sudden, three branches quickly grew out of the vine. And each of those branches budded and blossomed, like right away. And all over those vines, and there were these beautiful clusters of grape. And then in the dream, I noticed that I had Pharaoh's drinking cup in my hand. So I went and I, I squeezed all the grapes, and I, I, I put them in, in the cup of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's cup that I had in my hand. 
And so Joseph said, here's the interpretation of your dream. Genesis 40, verse 12. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift, you, lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. He says, here's what your dream means. In three days, Pharaoh is going to call for you, and you're going to be restored to your previous position as his chief cupbearer, the one who holds and tests his cup for poison. You're going to be that guy. It's great news. You're out of here in three days. Now, the baker who was down there also overheard the conversation, and he ran over and he said, hey, listen, I, I had a dream too. In my dream, I had three baskets on my head that were filled with, with delicacies that I had baked for Pharaoh. And, and on the top basket, the birds were eating of those pastries. He, he says, what, what does it mean? And Joseph said, not so good for you. The three baskets are three days. At the end of the three days, Pharaoh is going to call for you, and he's going to cut off your head and feed your flesh to the birds. Not so good. But wait a minute, back to the cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, Joseph says to the cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in the dungeon. Now I want us to reflect here for just a moment on the heart of Joseph. Joseph has experienced one setback after another, unjustly. His own brothers betrayed him, sold him to slavery. He was faithful, and he rises up to, to be in Potiphar's house, and then he gets accused of, of rape by Potiphar's wife, and now he's in prison. Every, everything is going uh, unjustly. And although he is faithful, he's in pain. He's hurting. He's not enjoying this lifestyle. Even though he's head of the prison, he's not having fun. He's still in prison. He wants to go back home, back home with his dad, with his young brother. So he says to the cupbearer, listen, when three days pass and Pharaoh restores you, put in a good word for me, would you? Would you show me some kindness? I've just showed you kindness. Show me some kindness. And when you go back there, tell Pharaoh that, that, that you met this guy down here. In fact, he's the one that interprets your dream, and, and he's down there under false charges. And, and would you consider giving him his freedom, too? So, Joseph, don't you know? Three days later, exactly how he had interpreted the dreams came, apart, came, up, came to pass, and, and the baker was executed, and the cupbearer was restored back to his position. And don't you know that Joseph was sitting there saying, any day now, any day I'm going to get out of here. Any day, that cupbearer, he went back, he's going to talk to Pharaoh with me. Any day, I'm out of here, I'm out of this misery, I'm not going to be in jail anymore, I'm not going to be a slave anymore, I'll have my freedom again. The scripture says in Genesis 40, 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Enough already. I mean, how would I feel? How would you feel if you were Joseph? I mean, I, this must have been one of the mo lowest moments of his life. Done everything right. He was faithful. And yet, he, he'd been betrayed now by someone who he had given hope to. The story goes on. Now we're going to go to Genesis chapter 41. It said, when two full years had passed. Now, now mark this down. Two years, not two days, not two weeks, not two months, 
Two years passed since Joseph had pleaded with the cupbearer that when he was restored to Pharaoh's favor that he would put in a word for him. Nothing has happened. He's still languishing in prison. But now, Pharaoh himself has a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, he sees coming up out of the Nile seven healthy, fit cows. And they begin to graze at the, at the edge of the Nile. And then after them, he sees seven ugly and gaunt cows come up. And they stand by the healthy cows that are grazing on the edge of the Nile. But all of a sudden, the ugly, gaunt ones eat the healthy, fat ones. It says, then Pharaoh woke up. I read, the, the, to Pharaoh, this is, this is from the gods. And he wakes up and he says, what? Cows don't eat cows. And if, if they did eat cows, it would be the healthy ones eating the sickly ones, not the sickly ones eating the healthy ones. And, and so he's wrestling. He's trying to figure, what is this about? Finally, he's able to fall back asleep. But when he falls back asleep, he has a second dream. And in this dream, Genesis 41, beginning in verse 5, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Now, you've got plants eating plants. And said so he woke up. And look what it says. It had been a dream. How many times have you ever had a dream that was so real? That when you were startled out of that dream, when you woke up out of that dream, you, you were completely disoriented. And, and, and you're, is this real? What is, what? And then you think, oh, it was a dream. See, that's where Pharaoh's at. But he's really disturbed about it. He's like, cows eating cows? Heads of wheat eating heads of, what in the world is this all about? And so scripture says the next morning, he was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians, the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret it for him. The next morning, he's beside himself trying to figure out what this cow-eating cow stuff and this, this weed-eating wheat stuff is all about. And so he calls in his magicians. Now, we're not talking David Copperfields here. We're talking about people who are supposed to be able to be prophets, soothsayers, fortune tellers. They were supposed to be able to reveal things to Pharaoh, along with all the wisest men he could possibly find in the land of Egypt. He brings them all in and he tells them the dream. But none of them could interpret it. But what, you know what? I think really it was none of them would interpret it. I think when they saw how disturbed Pharaoh was, knowing that Pharaoh is the most powerful man living on planet earth, and with a mere mention he could have every one of them executed, I think when they saw how disturbed, how troubled he really was, where in the past they might have ventured a guess, they might have taken a crack at it, they were silent. They said, we can't do it. Sorry, Pharaoh, we have no idea. The story gets interesting. Genesis 41.9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, ah, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Oh, Pharaoh, oh, I've got such a terrible memory. Pharaoh, I, I'm, today I, I'm reminded that I, I forgot to tell you something important. Pharaoh went a couple years ago. 
I fell out of favor with you and your chief baker fell out of favor with you and you put us in your prison. Well, while we were there, we both had dreams. And there was this Hebrew guy who was head of the prison down there who was able to interpret our dreams to the exact moment of what your decision was going to be and the execution of your decision. You executed the baker and you restored me to service. That guy down there, now there's a guy that can interpret a dream for you. Scripture goes on to say, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was, he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now, another sidebar I, I got to share with you because Scripture is so amazing. Notice that Scripture just doesn't say they went and got him and brought him to Pharaoh. It takes the detail. Moses was inspired to say they shaved him and they cleaned him up. They changed his clothes. Now, see, a beard in Middle East culture, then and still today, is a sign of being distinguished. It's distinguished to have a beard. But to the ancient Egyptians, facial hair was disgusting. And so before they brought Joseph, they even shaved him. Oftentimes you look at a, at a statue of a, of a pharaoh, they're bald. Sometimes they completely shave their head because facial hair was disgusting to the Egypts, Egyptians. See how precise God's word is? It's amazing. That was for free. I won't charge you for that one. So he brings him, and he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, now take a journey with me back to ancient Egypt. Now, Joseph is standing in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that time. Egypt was the superpower of all the civilizations on earth at that time. He's standing before the man, as I said a moment ago, who with just a gesture could have somebody's head cut off. And so here's Pharaoh. And he's looking at this prisoner that's just brought up from the prison. And he says, all right, prisoner number one, I had a dream and no one could interpret it. I've been told you can interpret dreams. That's why I brought you here. I want you to interpret my dream. Now, I want you to notice Joseph's immediate response. He says, can't do it. I can't do it. I don't think those were exactly the words Pharaoh was looking for at that moment in time. And don't you know that if it wasn't for the, for the provision of God, that Pharaoh instantly probably would have said, just get this guy out of here. You're wasting my time. Go cut his head off. He said, I can't do it. But he goes on to say, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, don't get too relaxed. Because I want you to hear the tension. Number one, his initial response is, no, I can't interpret your dream. And then he says, but God will interpret your dream. Now, that seems pretty vanilla, but listen. In ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was God. At least he was one of their many gods. So in essence, what Joseph is saying 
is, listen, you little God, you're not able to interpret this one, are you? And by the way, look at all your, your priests and your magicians and your wise men who represent all your other gods down here in Egypt, and they can't do it either, can they? But he said, my God can. The one true God will give you the interpretation of your dream. Where in the world did that kind of boldness come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from continually choosing the path of faith and continually experiencing God's amazing supernatural provision upon his life. And now, even though he's standing in front of the most important, powerful ruler of the world, he's able to say, oh, I can't do what you want me to do, but God can, and you're not God, neither are your other gods. There is a God who can do it. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows and the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the wind, they are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. So basically he says this. He says, here's the interpretation of the dream. Both dreams, they're connected. They're the same dream. Seven years are represented by the good stuff, seven years by the bad stuff. Seven years of good is abundance. Pharaoh, Egypt is about to experience some record crops, some record uh, births of livestock. Things are going to go so well, you're not going to be able to believe how well things are going. He said, but that's only going to last seven years. And those seven years are going to be followed by seven years of such famine throughout the world. Seven years of such suffering and pain and starvation it's just going to wipe away the memory of those good times. No one's even going to think about them anymore. They're going to be obsessed with the pain of the moment. Genesis 41, 32. said, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. God will do it soon. He said, that's why you had two dreams, because God wants you to know that what I'm telling you right now is going to happen. And he says, I want you to know, what I'm telling you right now is going to happen real soon. See, fortune tellers and soothsayers, you go, you go to one of those and, and, and they'll say, in your future, I see, down the path of your life, you're going to meet this man. Basically, Joseph's saying, you're going to meet him tomorrow night at 730. See, he's saying, it's going to happen. He's saying, Pharaoh, don't gaff this off. Pharaoh, the clock is ticking right now. You better do something now. This is serious. God's going to do it. And that's why God allowed you to have this, these dreams. Now look at the transition now. Verse 33 says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming 
and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come up upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Now, I want you to know there's a transition that's just happened. Initially, Joseph is brought out of the prison and divinely empowered by God to interpret Pharaoh's two dreams. And yes, he does. Seven years good, seven years famine. Now, we are transitioning. Now, Joseph is shifting into his experience as an administrator, as an organizer, as a CEO, as a CFO, as a COO. He says, all right, now, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. This is what God has revealed to you. This is what's going to happen. He says, now, now, here's what you need to do. You, you, you need to store up food. You need to set some commissioners. You need to put them under the authority. And he gives them this elaborate plan. Now, stop and think about this. Where in the world did a shepherd boy coming from the Middle East, how in the world was he able to devise such an intricate plan at the spur of the moment. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you how. Because God had been positioning him. God had been training him for exactly that moment in time. That's why God had exalted him to be the head of Potiphar's house. He organized, he administrated a wealthy man's estate. That's why even in prison, God took him right back and elevated him up to be in charge of the entire prison to teach him administration and organizational skills. So at the moment God was ready to move, he was ready to move. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. He said, that's a good plan. Now, that's some good thinking. This Hebrew guy, he hit it right on the nail. That's exactly what we need to do. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Now, I want you to know that the answer was yes. In fact, he could have found thousands of men to do that. Remember, this is the most advanced civilization on the earth. These are the people who built the pyramids these are the people who, who built the great cities of antiquity. These were the people who established the first library system. I mean, there were people all over the place in Egypt in that day who had the administrative and organizational skills to carry out that plan. Could they find somebody to do it? Absolutely. So why did they pick this Hebrew slave prisoner? Well, Pharaoh tells us. Can any... We find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God. See, that's the difference. Not, not, not just that he came up with this plan. He said, can we find anyone like this guy? This guy. God lives in this guy. God reveals things to this guy. This is the reason that we can even have this opportunity is because this guy God talks to. We've got to listen to this guy. Let me tell you something. In our lives... No matter what you do, no matter what I do, there are always thousands of people who can do it just as good as we can do or can do it better than we can do. Thousands of people. Public speakers, pff, like me, like right now, I'm a gnat 
compared to the great public speakers of our day who command thousands and thousands in their, their, their speeches and get thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for one speech. The reason that so many of, of you have come to me during this series and talked about how moved you are is not my skills as a speaker. It's the power of God that I share with you week after week from his word. It's God's word that has power. I'm just his representative. I don't care whether you're a carpenter, you're a plumber, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a cashier, you're whatever you are. There's thousands of people that can do the job that you do, but if you choose a path of faith, God will enable you to do things in that job that they could never do because his blessing will be upon you. Don't forget that. So can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He said, he, he said only that in the fact that I'm still the king, I'm still Pharaoh, otherwise you have rule. You have complete control. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You're in charge of it all. I don't know about you, but I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the house of Potiphar that night. Huh? Potiphar comes home from work. Honey, I'm home. By the way, guess what happened at the office today? You know, the guy that, uh, maybe you want to pack your bags and go visit Aunt Agatha real fast. (laughs) Pharaoh says to this slave, This fugitive, this criminal, this prisoner, you, I declare by the power of me as king of Egypt, you are now in charge of the kingdom. It says, then he took, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He wasn't giving him bling. He wouldn't give him a little piece of jewelry to wear. That ring sealed the deal of any official deal for the nation of Egypt. Now it was Joseph who would seal the deals. It was Joseph who had the authority to make all the decisions. Put a robe on him, dressed him in fine clothes. No longer would he wear a servant's garb. No longer would he wear a prisoner outfit. Now he was dressed as a statesman of the most powerful nation on earth. And he put a gold chain around him, another symbol of his authority and his wealth and his power. And it said he made him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, make way, make way. I want you to see that little prisoner, that little Joseph now. He's riding in a chariot, and as he's riding in a chariot, there's soldiers in front of him screaming to the crowds, make way, make way, get out of the way, there's somebody important coming. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonapaneah and gave him Ashenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went out through the land of Egypt. He's now the most powerful man on earth. 
Why? Because he chose the path of faith. So what do we take home from this? What can I take out of here today? What can you take out of here today? Own this. God is in control of all of life. God has control in all of life. There's nothing he's not in control of. There's things in life that we don't like. There's things in life that we're disappointed in. There's things in life that scare us. There's things that happen politically that unnerve us. But mark this down. God is in control of it all. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. See, a lot of things that, that we want to plan and we want to do, we want our way, but, but ultimately, you know what's going to happen? What God wants to happen is going to happen. You know, I wanted to be a professional trumpet player. I never wanted to be a preacher. But guess what I'm doing right now? See, even though I kicked, and trust me, I kicked, God's plan prevailed, and thank you, God, that your plan prevailed because it was a better plan. No matter what the plans of other men are for us, no matter if they're trying to take us down, they're trying to stab us in the back, they're trying to falsely accuse us, trust me, God is the one whose plan will prevail, not theirs. In fact, Proverbs 21 once says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Any ruler on planet earth in history or even today, God can in a moment say, you know, I don't like that. You're going to go this way. You know what? You're going to take your nation this way. You know what? You're going to do this. I mean, we get all raveled about all this news and all that kind of stuff, and it is scary sometimes, but mark it down. God's in control of it all. There ain't nothing happening that God's not allowing to happen. See, own that in your life. God is in control of all of life, and that includes your life. Therefore, no matter what your circumstances, choose the path of faith. Joseph got dealt a bad hand a lot of times. And you know, we can't always control our circumstances. He couldn't control the fact that he had 10 older brothers who overpowered him and sold him into slavery. There was nothing he could do about that. He couldn't control the fact that he was sold into slavery to the house of Potiphar. He couldn't control that later on Potiphar's wife would falsely accuse him of, of rape. He couldn't control the fact that he went to prison. But in each and every situation, he could choose how he was going to respond to it. That's where we always have the choice. He always chose the path of faith. And because he always chose the path of faith, God was able, God was free to bless him. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Uh, what? Oh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. Now, why can't we lean to our understanding? Because we're usually wrong, that's why. And because we, we, we see this little bit. We see this little fraction of what's really going on. God looking down from his omniscience and his omnipotence, he's looking down, he sees it all. He sees where we've been, he sees where we are, and he sees where he's taking us. It says, in some of your ways acknowledge him. 
Oh, in all your ways acknowledge him. You know what that means? That means that God can't just be my God on Sunday afternoon. And the rest of the week, I just do whatever I want to do and live however I want to live, and I'm in control of my life. No, that's not how it works if you want God's blessing on your life. He says, in all your ways, in every compartment of your life, he will make your path straight. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. You can't fail if you're doing it for God, and if you're doing it in, in the path of faith, you can't fail. Even though things might not work out the way you planned or the way you think you hope, if you stay with God and trust that he's in control, then you can't lose in the end. Now, while you're processing it, they'll process this. God's not some kind of cosmic vending machine. Genesis 41, 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That day when he was promoted, when he was given the signet ring, when he was given the chariot, when he was 30 years old. Do you remember how old he was when he was sold into slavery? He was 17. That means for 13 years, years, 13 years, his most formative years, he was either a slave or he was a prisoner, 13 years. And I have no doubt that all during those 13 years, he prayed every day to God. But it wasn't for 13 years that God finally put him where he had the authority that he ultimately had. See, we often treat God like some kind of cosmic vending machine. We throw up a couple prayers, maybe give a few more bucks in the offering that week. And, we, we, and then we demand that God move heaven and earth for us. I prayed, I gave some offering. I guess this doesn't work for me, huh? 13 years. Isaiah, the great prophet, Old Testament 40, verse 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those that wait on the Lord, he waited on the Lord. He didn't like it. He wasn't enjoying it. He prayed to God to get him out of it. He, he begged the cupbearer to, to put a good word in for him. He was having a horrible life experience. It was a painful life experience. It was a humiliating life experience. But still, he chose the path of faith. He said, God, I don't know what's going on. But I know this, you're in charge. You're in control. I love that old chorus we used to sing, in his time, in his time. God makes all things beautiful in his time. Listen, don't get impatient. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Understand that God, in the life of Joseph, he had to manipulate all of history. He had to manipulate kings. He had to manipulate kingdoms. He had to manipulate everything to bring the world to the place where he finally was going to put Joseph where he was going to be. Now listen. When it finally happened, it happened like lightning. See, waiting on the Lord is not sitting in a rocking chair and just going, oh, God, are you ever going to? Waiting on the Lord means serving him with everything that we have, trying to do everything we can to bring glory to him. 
It's honing whatever skills God has given us. It's honing whatever spiritual gifts God has given us. It's doing everything we can to be the best child of God that we could possibly be in the middle of all of our horrific circumstances so that at the moment God chooses to put us where he's really planning to put us, we're equipped and ready to go. We've got to wait on the Lord. But know this, that God is at the end of your story. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Romans 8, 28 says this, But we know this, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is at the end of the story. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know. I don't know what pain you're in. I don't know what trials you're suffering. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you can't find a job. Maybe you're about to lose your house. Maybe you're under attack at work. Maybe your family relationships are all messed up. I don't know what it is. But I know this, God's in control. He hasn't lost control. He's still in control. And although we don't see any reason for it, we can't make any sense out of it, although it's painful, on the other side of that picture, God is manipulating everything that he needs to manipulate to bring you to the place that he has planned to bring you. And trust me, you will reach that place because it's the word of the Lord that will prevail. Don't give up hope. And while you're enduring for the next two days, the next two weeks, the next two months, the next two years, choose the path of faith. You may not have chosen your circumstances. You may not could have chosen your circumstances. But you can choose how you respond. Choose the path of faith. Let's bow our heads. God, life is not fair. It really isn't. But you never promised us it would be. Jesus, you, you told us to be the exact opposite. You said if we're going to follow you, it's going to be painful. You know what it is. People let us down. Circumstances let us down. Satan attacks us and tries to discourage us. It's hard living life. But God, thank you that you have preserved your word over centuries of time. And that because you have protected your word and passed it down from generation to generation, we, this day, this afternoon, we're able to look at this amazing role model named Joseph and understand that he was just a man, just a human being like every one of us here. But in spite of unbelievably adverse circumstances, he chose you. He chose faith. And because of that, you were able to exalt him and put him over the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. 
God, help us now, right now, in our circumstances to trust you. Help us not to despair. Help us not to fear. Help us not to become angry. Help us not to become impatient. Lord, help us to wait on you, knowing that all of life is in your control. Help us to choose the path of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.